Now remain standing for the gospel lesson and then the sermon text. Listen carefully to the gospel of our God. Then one from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater ones. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail Where no thief approaches, nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Thus far, the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. And now from Proverbs 15, verse 17. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word because it is truth. Now open our ears and our hearts and our minds so that we are able to hear what you have to say and then go forth from here doing it, putting it into practice. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated.
Let us pray again. Our Father in heaven, we can say to you, what do we have that we did not receive? And if we did receive it, why do we boast as if we had not received it? Put us this morning, we ask in humility and in lowliness of mind that we would be content with such things as we have. Our Father, we, we know that every good and perfect gift has come down from you above. That a man can have nothing except it be given him from heaven. So we ask that we would be as weaned children who are able to receive what you have given us with joy and contentment. May your Holy Spirit be at work in our hearts, stirring us to change us and to open our hearts that we will receive your word and your instruction to be transformed. In the name of Christ, amen. I want to tell you the story, the fable of the Mexican fisherman. Maybe you've heard this. There was an American businessman whose doctor prescribed for him to go on vacation for being overworked. So being a prosperous man, he went down to Mexico to a coastal village. And he was just relaxing on the beach. And in came a little boat, a fisherman. And he saw he had a couple fish, tuna fish, I believe it was, on the boat. Wanting to make conversation, the businessman came up to the fisherman and said, how long did it take you to catch these fish? He said, oh, a little while. So what do you do with the rest of your time here? He said, I sleep in late. I play with my kids. I go on an afternoon walk with my wife. I take a siesta. And every evening I feast with my friends. The American businessman saw an opportunity. He said, wow, I can really help you out because I'm a Harvard MBA and you could really be much more prosperous than what you are. What you should do is fish longer hours. You could catch more fish in that boat. You can make more money from those sales. You could buy a bigger boat. You could hire a team. Fill up that boat with your team. And then you could buy many more boats. Have a whole fleet of boats. Stack up layers of management. You've got a really good cash flow and company. And then you could sell that for millions. And the fisherman said, how long will all this take? He said, 15, 20 years, 25 years tops. Then what? Said the fisherman. That's the best part. Then you can sleep in late. You can play with your kids. You can go on an afternoon walk with your wife. You can take a siesta in the afternoon and feast every evening with your friends. Such is the call for us to become discontented with what we already have. There is there is a a craving in our heart always to have more, to be dissatisfied with what we've already got because we're so focused on greedily acquiring more. The text this morning, I'll read it again. Proverbs 15, 17. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox, a fatted ox and hatred therewith. This is one of the better than Proverbs. This is a kind of proverb in the book of Proverbs. And with it, Solomon is making a comparison, but he's going to surprise us with it because he's got four different options paired together within this comparison. If it were only the two concerning the meals, it's an easy choice. If it's if it's a steak, say a filet mignon or New York strip, if it's that or if it's a dozen green beans, You know which one you want. But 
That's not all in this comparison. He says you can only have the stake with hatred and strife. In this comparison. In this particular comparison. And you can only have love where you get the dozen green beans. So now which one do you choose? As a people of God, you see God's value system here. You have God's priorities. And Solomon is teaching us here the priority of the character around the meal being more important than the meal itself. We have to listen to how the comparison is weighted. I want to be clear here. Solomon is not telling us that meager meals make us more godly and that grand feasts make us less godly. That's not what he said. He's trying to weight the comparison so that you know how important godly character is. It's even more important than having a full belly. You don't want your God to be your belly. You want to be able to honor the Lord with whatever is set before you. So you see the priority and the emphasis in this proverb. Well, the occasion of the sermon this morning is Thanksgiving. This Thursday. Hopefully you'll you'll celebrate Thanksgiving in your homes, relatives' homes, with your friends. And I hope you have a grand feast. I hope that you have uh, two plates, three or four if you want. Uh, Solomon is certainly not condemning a sumptuous meal in this proverb. But we're coming into our holiday season, the church holiday season, not just an American holiday like Thanksgiving. We're coming into Advent and Christmas feasts. And with that can come a consumerism, a commercialization. And we have to be on our wares that we don't become discontent, that we be content with such things as we have. As the people of God, we have to realize we have a better table than anything that the world can offer us. We have a better table. And we have to be characterized at this table by contentment. It has to be our character trait. Proverbs 15, verse 15, so just a couple verses earlier, says, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart has a continual feast. That is to say, he's always feasting. Every day is a feast day for the man whose mindset comes from contentment. If his frame of heart is contented, every day is a feast. I knew a man like this. I met him in college. Um, He had a continual feast. Every day he ate a continual feast. Always smiling, always happy, and it didn't matter what was going on in his life. And it wasn't because the circumstances were always rosy. They were rather... Uh, very against him. Uh, his story was he, he immigrated here, I believe, as a refugee from Liberia. There was a civil war there in his youth. He was 10 years old about when his father, a journalist, was murdered in that civil war. So his, his mother was widowed. And they, they immigrated over the United States. And uh, if, if, you, if you talk to him about his life, you could, you could tell... Such were the facts that it was, it was hard, it was difficult. But the man was always smiling, always eating a continual feast. And you know, in college, you can have an environment where people like to complain about the next assignment or whatever else is going on in life. It, it can be an a, a atmosphere where it fosters complaining. And this would go on in the seats around him and in the halls. And he just couldn't relate to it. He couldn't identify with it because his mindset was, I'm so thankful that I'm not in a war right now. I'm so thankful that I'm, I'm able to go to college. I'm so thankful that we're, we're in a safe place. 
and that I had these opportunities. And he worked a lot of hours to put himself through college and to also help provide for his widowed mother and the, and the kids still at home. See, that was his character, though. His character was to be content, and that was how he ate a continual feast. This is what the book of Proverbs aims to do. It aims to shape our character. This is what we're studying in uh, at Grace Covenant Church, where I pastor. We're studying the Proverbs. We spent the summer in the book. We went through the first three chapters, section by section, and now we've come to topical sermons where we're looking at themes in Proverbs. And for our church, uh, here in the coming weeks, I'm, I'm going to preach this message on contentment as we come out of Thanksgiving and into Christmas, or into Advent and Christmas. Uh, so I thought it appropriate the week of Thanksgiving that we could also hear this today. But what we're learning at Grace Covenant about the book of Proverbs is that it shapes our character. And one, one commentator, I really like his quote about the book, he said Proverbs was written to put godliness into working clothes. You think about that. It's, Proverbs is about what does godliness look like on a day-to-day basis in everyday life. Godliness in working clothes. So you get all these scenarios in Proverbs. Case studies. Very specific things. Here's what to do. But they're meant for broad applications. So we, we get to zero in on what should everyday life look like for the man who is shaped by God's law. One of the things you'll notice in Proverbs is that the covenant name of the Lord is often mentioned. I believe it's 88 times in the book of Proverbs. It's the Lord's name is Yahweh, his covenant name. So he, uh, Solomon is writing Proverbs not as the Bible's version of self-help. It's not like him saying, here's some tips of how you can get along well, have some success in life, maybe some fame and do well for your family. This is in the context of God's covenant with us. Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, how then should the man shaped by God's law thoroughly live in everyday life? That is how Proverbs is shaping our character. It's covenant wisdom. It's not self-help, secular self-help. So Solomon spoke this wisdom very well. And I'm entirely confident that Solomon died a faithful man. But if you look at Solomon's life, he often failed to live out this wisdom There were times of his life where he was exemplary with it, I believe. But there were also times of his life where he was miserably a failure in abiding by this wisdom which he spoke. And he spoke it by the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit has given us the book of Proverbs to shape us. But you know who did not ever fail to live by the wisdom of the book of Proverbs was our Lord Jesus Christ. He lived out the wisdom of this book. Uh, Everybody knows Jesus for speaking parables, but what you may not know is that when you want to take the Hebrew word for proverb and translate it into Greek, that's the word we we recognize as parable. Our our English word parable is that's that's what we call what Jesus did. That's the same Greek word that is used to translate the Hebrew word for proverb because a proverb is a comparison. And what is Jesus doing when he's speaking parables? He's comparing things. So Jesus is the quintessential wise man when he speaks parables. He couldn't be caught in a snare. He grew in wisdom and understanding and stature before God and men. Uh, he, he lived out of wisdom that was justified by her children. Uh, in many ways, we see that he was the greater than Solomon. 
who came as the quintessential wise man. And everywhere we see in Proverbs the wisdom of how not to be, how not to act, it's against God's law, we are seeing how we are called to put off the old man. And everywhere we see the positives of the blessings and advantages and benefits of wisdom, we are seeing the calling to put on the new man. And what this means for the book of Proverbs is that we can't read it without having Jesus revealed to us. The book of Proverbs reveals Jesus Christ to us because He is the new man. He perfectly lived out this wisdom. He, he forsook the negative things and the, the positive things uh, He perfectly kept and lived out and embodied. So the book of Proverbs reveals to us the wisdom of the new man, of Jesus Christ. So that's where Jesus is in Proverbs. Jesus is also the incarnation of wisdom. Um, wisdom that calls out to those that are perishing and going to be destroyed. Uh, wisdom is an attribute of God. It takes a feminine form in Proverbs. Uh, as an attribute, it has that feminine form. But Jesus Christ, the book of 1 Corinthians tells us, is the incarnate wisdom of God. So where do we see contentment in Jesus? Jesus did model contentment for us in his life. Uh, he was content to empty himself and take upon him the form of a servant. We have that in Philippians 2 verse 7. Uh, he said to a man in Matthew 8 verse 20, The foxes have hoes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. And he was content with that. He said in Matthew eleven twenty nine to his people, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Here's the important part. And, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Now, it's all important, but what I'm trying to say is that we can establish that Jesus was content, but what that verse does is says, Jesus is not just an example for you to go and do likewise in contentment. Jesus can give you contentment. He gives rest to your soul. You come to Him, you approach Him, and His contentment is so superabounding, it flows to you. He can make you content perfectly. Uh, it's, it's, it's not something that you can do for yourself. It's only found in Him. And you will have unrest. You will have discontent until you have found your contentment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now from the book of Proverbs, there are many ways that we could, we could talk about contentment or thankfulness. Uh, thankfulness comes from contentment. Um, there are many ways we could talk about it. One way I thought about doing was, was by humility. There are many Proverbs about humility. In the book of Proverbs, pride goes before the fall. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. And you could see how it takes a humble heart to be content. Because if you're proud, you think of yourself more highly than what you ought. You exalt yourself against other people. So you're always snatching for more. You've got greedy eyes, an evil eye looking, looking for more. Finagling for more. So. You must be humble in order to be content. But where I want to dwell really is more on texts that concern covetousness. Covetousness. So first, we'll go through a few of these. Proverbs 28 and verse 16. Proverbs 28, <coughs> verse 16. We, we have a passage on hating covetousness. So listen at this one. The prince that lacks understanding is also a great oppressor. He's a snatcher. He's got greedy eyes, an evil eye. He's snatching. The prince that lacks understanding is also a great oppressor. But he that hates covetousness shall prolong his days. 
the way this proverb is set up, the foolish man is the covetous man. He lacks understanding. And he's the snatcher. He's, he's proud, not humble. So he's covetous. It is, it is the humble man who hates covetousness and who is wise. And he gets the benefit, in this case of a ruler, of prolonging his days. And what I want you to see there is that another way of talking about contentment is hating covetousness. If you hate covetousness, you're going to be happy with what you have. And that's called contentment. You're going to shun discontentment. Now let's look at the blameworthiness of covetousness. This will be from Proverbs 28 and verse 20. A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that makes haste to be rich shall not be innocent. Wow. You cannot be guiltless if you make haste to be rich. We have here again the man that's that's grasping after more. A greedy-eyed man. He, he, is, he is greedily craving more. And the Lord says, you cannot be guiltless. You cannot be innocent with a heart that loves covetousness in that way. So again, we see uh, the blameworthiness of covetousness there. Uh, let's talk now in this next proverb about not just the blameworthiness of covetousness, but covenant, covetousness frustrated, frustrated covetousness. Proverbs 28, verse 22. He that hastes to be rich has an evil eye. Let me stop there and say that's, again, the blameworthiness of covetousness. You cannot be guiltless because if you're hastening to be rich, that means your eye is evil. Your eye is greedy. And that's, that's a sin. And covetousness, Paul tells us, is idolatry. He equates it with idolatry. You've committed idolatry if you're covetous. So Proverbs 28, 22, He that hastes to be rich has an evil eye, and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. Look at the frustration. Wow. He didn't expect that, did he? He was trying to get rich, but he became poor. So his, his cravings were not gratified. They were frustrated. His covetousness was frustrated. I want to paint a picture now with a couple more Proverbs that show us if you do decide to indulge your own covetousness, if you pardon it, if you say, well, it's just ambition. Well, I've got a, I've got a good reason. I just want to do well for myself. If you cloak it in those ways, but really it's an evil eye, really it's greediness. And if you indulge that thinking, at least I'll get what I want. Maybe not. Maybe you won't even get what you want and you didn't even honor God in the process that you were cloaking it as if you were. Listen at this from Proverbs 27, verse 20. 27, verse 20. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. So again, Proverbs are comparisons. Two things are being compared here. Uh, Two things are never full, are never satisfied. And they are first the eyes of man. That is to say, if you were to be given today everything that you desire, all that your heart craves, by the next day, you'd have thought of a few things more that you want. Maybe by that night, there would be more that you want. Your covetousness will not ever be satisfied. But you know what's like that, Proverbs says. I'll tell you something that's like that. It's like hell and destruction. Now, why would he pair those two things? These Proverbs, the poetry is so terse, not a word is wasted. He, he specifically chose to compare two things that were never full 
And He went to hell and destruction to tell us that your covetousness will be frustrated. It will not be satisfied. If you decide to indulge it, it will not have a happy ending. There are no happy results to giving in to discontentment and covetousness. So, another proverb on this point. Proverbs 25 and verse 16. Have you found honey? Eat so much as is sufficient for you, lest you be filled with it and vomit it. So serendipitously, you happen upon a, a honeycomb, a beehive, and, and there's a, a, some honey in there for you to down. And you fill your belly with it, not realizing it's going to turn into vomit. All of that sugar, all of that sweetness, you greedily consumed. But it was too much. You didn't have the capacity to even handle your own rapacity. Your own, your own cravings cannot be held within yourself if, if they could be honored. If you got everything that you wanted, you would be destroyed. That's what this is saying. It'll turn to vomit. Your discontent will be frustrated. Your covetousness will be frustrated. So the Proverbs 30 is a, is a chapter of the book of Proverbs. It was written by another wise man, Augur the son of Jacob. Now, most of Proverbs, you know, probably was written by Solomon, King Solomon. But Proverbs 30 was written by Augur, the son of Jacob. And he has many wise things to say. First, I want to explain to you how he knew about covetousness and the insatiable desires of the human heart. There's a, there's a verse in Proverbs 30 where he says there is a leech that has children. He's talking about a leech that... It's a it's a creature that feeds off other mammals' blood. It's, it's a blood-sucking creature. And this is how it satisfies its appetite. But the observation Augur, the son of Jacob, says about it is it's, it's never full. And he says if he were to introduce us to its, its children, two daughters, the name of the first daughter is Give. She, she wants. Give to me. And the name of the second daughter, what is that? Give. Yes. Both, they're both named the same thing. So what this tells us about Augur, the son of Jacob, is he knew about insatiable desire. He knew that there, his, his, his heart's desires was a bottomless pit. It, he would always be craving more and never be satisfied. And so he prayed a very wise prayer in Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. Proverbs 30, 7 through 9. Two things I have required of you. Do not deny me then before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food convenient for me. Or your version may say the food that is my portion. Or your version may say the food that is needful for me. Basically, he's praying for daily bread. Verse 9, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is Yahweh? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, 15, I don't know how long ago it was. There was a best-selling book, The Prayer of Jabez. They took an obscure prayer from the Old Testament for prosperity. A man whose, whose prayer got honored for expanded borders and a prosperous life and peace. And it was, you know, it's just a few sentences and they made it into this big best-selling book. You know, I wonder, this prayer is obscure. I wonder if we could just recover this and turn this into a best-selling book. 
How about this prayer? But we, we really don't like this prayer as much, do we? I think we would have preferred that Augur have prayed, Lord, make me rich as a king and just give me the grace I need to handle that, that terrible temptation of having too much, of having abundance, right? We'd have preferred that he prayed that way, but he knew too well his own weakness and frailty, how easily he would succumb to the tempter to be discontent. He knew his heart too well. He was honest with himself. And so he prayed like the Lord's Prayer to be delivered from the temptation. Do not lead me into temptation, but deliver me from evil. We see some parallels here to the Lord's Prayer, the commentators observe, between uh, Augur's Prayer in Proverbs uh, 30 and, uh, and the Lord's Prayer. Well, how do you feel about this, that prayer? Can you pray that? Are you happy praying that prayer? Does it satisfy you to say that to God? Because what if He gives it to you? So far, he probably he, he's honored that request. And uh, so we're, we're asking for maybe more of the same, if it's His will. How do you feel about that? Can you, can you accept that? Do you have the contentment to pray that prayer and to accept what the Lord has portioned out for you? Even if it's, are you content to fill a little space if He be glorified, as the hymn says? Well, David, in Psalm 4, verse 7 said, you have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. David knew how to feast. He participated in the many feast days of Israel. So he had a merry heart. But he had a continual feast. He had a merry heart that was every day a continual feast because he had that contentment before the Lord. He was able to say, it doesn't matter what's on my plate, whether it's a steak or green beans. He had a continual feast. The Lord had put more joy, contentment that is, in His heart than when their grain and new wine abounded. A similar thing can be taken from the sons of Asaph in Psalm 84, verse 11. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Speaking of the Lord. Uh, the sons of Asaph are teaching us, when you look at your life and you see the things that you do have and the things that you don't have, this is a good thing. This, this is what the Lord has ordained as good in this season of life. Now, it doesn't mean that in the future you might have some things that you don't have now or that you might not have some things later on that you'd like to dispose of or get rid of. It, it, it doesn't mean that, but it means that the Lord has perfectly ordered every season of your life. There is nothing that is a good thing for you that you don't have right now. If you don't have it, no matter how much you might want it, or be able to justify it, call for it. It's a good thing that you don't have it from the Lord's perspective. And contentment calls us to accept that as His, as His will. And to have a continual feast in that. In Proverbs, there's a long introduction. Verses, or chapters 1 through 9 are all an introduction. So the end, the end of Proverbs' introduction is chapter 9. And in chapter 9, we have the culmination of the wise man's search for wisdom. And it ends in chapter 9 with a feast. There's a meal. Wisdom has slain her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has been calling out to the simpletons from her high place. She has called them to come in and dine with her. She's prepared a feast for them. Whoever is open-minded, whoever is naive and simple, please come in 
for salvation. If you read, if you read the introduction, it's to be saved from destruction, from hell and destruction. So she calls them in to a meal. A meal is the culmination of the pursuit of wisdom. This is really significant because Solomon does the same thing in the other wisdom literature he authored in the book of Ecclesiastes. A meal is the culmination of the pursuit of wisdom. He says in Ecclesiastes 2.24, Ecclesiastes 5.18-20, he has seen there's nothing better for a man than to eat, to drink, to be married, to give thanks for the wife that God has given him to enjoy his work. There's a feast. It's the culmination of the search for wisdom. Well, what should this tell us? It's the same for us. There is a feast that is the culmination of the search for wisdom. Now, if if you'll hang on with me just a minute. uh, Growing up, I had a relative who was about three or four. And I believe it was Christmas. I had to think of whether it was a birthday or Christmas. Uh, I guess we were all opening presents together. And every present that, that he opened, he just was ecstatic. He said, wow, this is the best thing ever. This is my favorite. I've always wanted this. This is amazing. Every, every gift. And uh, I believe it was he opened a, a, a present of, of men's socks. So, it, you know, it wasn't meant for him. And he also, wow, this is my favorite. How'd you know? At three or four years old, he clearly... He had been told to to respond with gratitude. Uh, maybe maybe there was a birthday or a Christmas last year where his mother knew he wasn't as grateful as what he should have been. So she coached to that, and and she prepared him to have a content heart, a thankful heart. I want to ask you when you when you look at your life and go to pray the prayer of Agur the son of Jacob. Do you feel a little bit coached? Do you feel a little bit like that? You know. I know that I'm supposed to pray that. But there's a lot going on that's difficult and it's hard. And it you know, it would be really hard for me to ask the Lord and to be willing to accept more of the more of the same. And it just feels very coached. And it's not that I it's not that I don't want to do it. It's just it's it's a challenge. By God's grace, I will. Well, I want to speak to you about the culmination of wisdom in a feast and a meal. And I want to do it by pointing to our worship service today. The culmination of what we do in this worship service is a feast. It's a better table. This is, this is the table. It is, a, it is a better table than anything that the world can offer us. And this is a table where we have guaranteed to us how kind the intentions of our Father are to us. Whatever it is that we have or we don't have right now, Week by week, we come to a continual feast. We come to this table. And we are, we are reoriented. We're redirected to see what is, what is truly important. What is the priority? That better is a dinner of herbs than a, uh, with love, where love is, than a fatted ox and hatred with it. And we have at this meal, this is, this meal we are coming to is a love feast where the people of God love one another and love the Lord, their Savior. I want to ask you, what, what did this meal cost your father for him to give you this meal? It cost him his only begotten son. So if you look at your life and you say, well, look at all that's withheld from me. Look at, 
Look at how dear the things are to me that I don't have, that I wish that I had. What are his intentions toward you that he's ordained life to be like that for you right now? I mean, this was the path that his son took. He he. uh, He found obedience in the things that he suffered. This this was the way our master went and the Lord ordained that path for him. And he felt his father's love and his pleasure despite the things that he suffered, the things that he lacked, that he lacked where to lay his head. He still felt his father's love. So his, so our father gave up his only begotten son for us to be welcomed to this meal. Because remember, we should have been enemies from this table. We're totally undeserving of this table. And he welcomes us here as adopted sons and daughters, his children. We're to come here to this table And it took him giving up his only begotten son as the cost that we could join here at this feast. And if you think of what it costs the Lord, just consider the elements that we have. We have the bread and the wine. What is that about? The bread, that's that's his body broken for you. The wine, this this is his blood that was shed for you. What did Jesus give up? What did he forsake? His father forsook him for a time. Jesus resisted sin to the shedding of blood and endured a great contradiction of sinners so that you could be here as his friend, as his brother, as as his sister. You are welcome to this table. And because he calls us to this table to give us things that we're not worthy of, we have here a perfect picture of his grace. Anytime we are struggling with contentment, any of the days that we want to choose rather uh to dwell upon how we are afflicted rather than having a continual feast. We have in this meal the grace that redirects us so that like the Apostle Paul, whether we abound or have meager things, we can be at peace and content with what the Lord has allotted us. Let's give thanks to the Lord. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for how you know what things we have need of and we need not take any thought for the morrow what what we should eat or drink even because you have numbered the hairs of our head and we cannot add a cubit to our stature. Lord, all of these things we know are in your hand and we ask that we would come to your Son and find rest, impart to us contentment by the satisfaction that we have. Him satisfying your wrath toward us so that we have your favor and your friendship May we be content with these things and with all the things with which You have provided us. Give us neither poverty nor riches, our Father, for You know the frailty and the weakness of our heart. But keep us with our daily bread. Help us to be content with such things as we have. Deliver us from the evil one and lead us not into temptation. We ask You in the name of Your Son who has overpowered the evil one, Jesus Christ. Amen.